The Braille Forum, Volume 49, March 2011, Number 9. Published by the American Council of the Blind. Read by Mark Delgado in the studios of Potomac Talking Book Services, Bethesda, Maryland. This recording is tone indexed. The beginning of each item in the table of contents will be indicated by a beep, audible when your cassette player is in fast forward or rewind. The American Council of the Blind strives to increase the independence, security, equality of opportunity, and to improve quality of life for all blind and visually impaired people. Mitch Pomerantz, President. Melanie Brunson, Executive Director. Sharon Lovering, Editor. National Office, 2200 Wilson Boulevard, Suite 650, Arlington, Virginia, 22201. Fax, 703-465-5085. Website, http://www.acb.org. www.acb.org. The Braille Forum, trademark, is available in Braille, large print, half-speed four-track cassette tape, data CD, and via email. Subscription requests, address changes, and items intended for publication should be sent to Sharon Lovering at the address above, or via email to slovering at acb.org. The American Council of the Blind, trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. To join, contact the national office at the number listed above. Those much-needed contributions, which are tax-deductible, can be sent to Attention, Treasurer, ACB, 6300 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 195, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, 55430. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, the National Office has printed cards available for this purpose. Consider including a gift to ACB in your last will and testament. If your wishes are complex, call the National Office. To make a contribution to ACB via the combined federal campaign, use this number 11155. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, Call the Washington Connection toll free at 800-424-8666, 5 p.m. to midnight Eastern Time, or read it online. Copyright 2011. American Council of the Blind. Table of Contents. President's Message. ACB Speaks to the Justice Department. By Mitch Pomerantz. Side 1, Tone 1. Making the Income Tax Filing Process More Accessible by Melanie Brunson. Side 1, Tone 2. ADA Regs Go to the Dogs. Long Awaited Clarification of Service Animal Definition from Department of Justice by Janine Stanley. Side 1, Tone 3. ACB in the Silver State. 2011 Conference and Convention by Carla Rushevel. Side 1, Tone 4. DKM deadline is near. Side 2. ACB gears up for officer elections in July. Side 2, Tone 1. Exhibiting the Gold, Exploring the Treasure, Embracing the Cultures. By Eric Fry and Michael Garrett. Side 2, Tone 2. Impact of a Short Conversation. By James Edwards. 
Side 2, Tone 3. French Delegation. By George Holliday. Side 2, Tone 4. In My Own Voice. The Carmela's Quest Collaboration. By Carmela Broom. Side 2, Tone 5. Affiliate News. Side 2, Tone 6. Passings. Side 2, Tone 7. Here and There. Edited by Sue Lichtenfels. Side 3, Tone 1. High-Tech Swap Shop. Side 3, Tone 2. Forum Subscription Notes. You can now get the Braille Forum by podcast. To subscribe, go to the Braille Forum page on www.acb.org. If you do not yet have a podcast client, you can download one from the forum page. To subscribe to the Braille Forum via email, go to www.acb.org slash mailman slash listinfo slash brailleforum hyphen L. Are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office, 1-800-424-8666, or via email, s-l-o-v-e-r-i-n-g at acb.org. Give her the information, and she'll take care of the changes for you. President's Message ACB Speaks to the Justice Department By Mitch Pomerantz In July 2010, the United States Department of Justice, DOJ, issued four advance notices of proposed rulemaking, ANPRMs, regarding proposed changes to Titles 2 and 3 of the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA. The four ANPRMs under consideration were Accessible Web Information and Services, Movie Captioning and Video Description, Accessibility of Next Generation 911, and Accessible Equipment and Furniture. Release of the ANPRMs marked the beginning of a comment period during which all interested parties had the opportunity to provide input concerning those proposed rules. The comment period concluded on January 24th. Both written and oral comments were accepted, and I want to thank and acknowledge the efforts of a working group that I asked to draft ACB's written responses. This group included Paul Edwards, Kim and Brian Charlson, Mark Reichert, Pratik Patel, Eric Bridges, and Judy Jackson. Along with written comments, DOJ conducted three public hearings in Washington, D.C., Chicago, and San Francisco to take testimony regarding the aforementioned ANPRMs. The latter hearing took place on January 10th, and I was able to follow the proceedings on the Internet and to testify representing ACB via telephone. I borrowed heavily from the working group for my remarks. The remainder of this month's column is taken up with my comments to the Justice Department officials. My name is Mitch Pomerantz, and I am the president of the American Council of the Blind. ACB is a major national grassroots consumer advocacy organization with 70 state and special interest affiliates throughout the nation. I wish to thank the United States Department of Justice, and especially John Wodach, for the opportunity to briefly address some of our general concerns relative to the recently issued ANPRMs. More extensive written comments addressing specific concerns will be forthcoming. ACB believes that regulations must be drafted which recognize the convergence of Section 508 of the Rehabilitation Act, Section 255 of the Telecommunications Act, 
and the recently enacted 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act, a bill sponsored by the American Council of the Blind. Without taking such laws into consideration, the department will be developing standards which will be irrelevant because effective communication will be thwarted. ACB would argue it is time that the ADA acknowledge these federal laws, which have begun creating standards of accessibility. ACB recognizes the department's efforts to date to clarify that the ADA requires access to web information and services. If blind and visually impaired people are to compete on equal terms with our sighted peers, regulations must be promulgated which guarantee access to websites operated by both Title II and Title III entities. The department should clarify that audio description is an auxiliary aid and service which assures effective communication. It is not a fundamental alteration of a theater's service and should be acknowledged in the regulations. Let me comment here that the term video description is wholly inappropriate, given that since 1981 the generic phrase referencing the use of language to provide access to visual images has been audio description. It is essential that the department adopt audio description as the only appropriate term to describe this method of effective communication. ACB believes that DOJ should unequivocally state that the accessibility of equipment is an inherent component of making programs, activities, and places of public accommodation accessible. We are convinced that people with disabilities have waited long enough for a clear statement by the department that there is an affirmative obligation to assure that equipment used to provide access to programs and services under Title II and equipment being employed in places of public accommodation under Title III must. Within the constraints contained in both titles, be accessible. Further, since virtually every piece of equipment today makes use of computers or is directly connected to the internet or accessed wirelessly or via remote control, we must move beyond looking at equipment in a standalone context. The accessibility of computers, whether in home appliances or public kiosks, must be a basic consideration in any regulations developed for equipment accessibility. It is no longer appropriate to see the regulation of equipment, the web, and audio description as separate endeavors. All three of the ANPRMs of particular interest to blind and visually impaired people overlap. It is time that the department consider adoption of general principles that clearly articulate the convergence which the computer chip has created. In conclusion. The Department of Justice must take this opportunity to absolutely articulate that there is a categorical requirement for equipment accessibility, which applies equally to state and local governments and to places of public accommodation. The department must champion principles of universal design, which will, within a reasonable time frame, require Title II and three entities to acquire equipment that is accessible. ACB is certain that if the Department of Justice adopts this unequivocal general principle, we will get to a place where equipment accessibility will assume the place it should as a civil right for all people with disabilities. Thank you. Making the income tax filing process more accessible, by Melanie Brunson. Just in time for the filing of 2010 income tax returns. I thought readers of the Braille Forum might be interested to know that hundreds of the IRS's most popular publications and federal income tax forms are now available in alternate formats. Many can be downloaded directly from the IRS's website, www.irs.gov. They are located on the accessibility page. Available formats include Braille, text, and/or large print. 
One of the unique items offered on the IRS website is access to talking tax forms, which are in a very accessible PDF format. One of the other noteworthy items is Publication 907, Tax Highlights for Persons with Disabilities, which explains the tax implications of certain disabilities and discusses other issues of interest to people with disabilities. To see a complete list of what's available and download any publications that are of interest to you, visit the IRS website and look for the link to the accessibility page. You may also order publications and forms in alternate formats by phone if you can't download them, or want a hard copy in braille or large print. To place orders by phone, call 1-800-829-3676. People who want to contact the IRS using a TTY can call 1-800-829-4059. While we're on the subject of federal income taxes, Readers should also know that individuals who need assistance filling out income tax forms because of a disability can often obtain that assistance through a program called the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance (VTA) program, which is sponsored by the IRS. Taxpayers interested in learning more about this program, including the places where VTA volunteers are located in their particular community, can call 1-800-906-9887. The IRS is trying to make more of its information and forms easier for people who are blind to access. I hope readers will make use of the resources that are available and encourage them in this effort. ADA regs go to the dogs. Long-awaited clarification of service animal definition from Department of Justice by Janine Stanley. When the ADA was first conceived, no one thought that people would present snakes, pigs. Horses, both full-size and miniature, cats, both wild and domestic, and a host of other animals as service animals that mitigate a disability. After all, most people assume that the only animals trained to work with people with disabilities were dogs. Even in the 1980s, the dog was more than just a guide for blind people. Dogs worked to alert deaf or hard of hearing people to sounds, helped people with mobility impairments balance, retrieved objects. Opened doors and performed many other tasks. There must have been a few people who did know the variety of animals and tasks they would perform in the future when the definition of service animal was arrived upon. It was kept very general to allow for these hopefully responsible uses of animals in public situations. Responsible being the key word. Unfortunately, the very fluidity of the definition meant that just about anything could become a service animal if the person said it was. And as long as it wasn't disrupting the business, this created some very unusual and tense situations when animals never meant to accompany people in public were doing so. Even when those animals were well behaved, sanitary, and obviously doing tasks to assist their disabled handlers, the built environment didn't always agree. Another class of animals assisting people with disabilities became known as psychiatric service animals. Because their tasks included unconventional things to assist their handlers who had psychiatric disabilities, such as notifying when to take medications, offering a physical barrier between the person and close crowds by body blocking, stopping repetitive behaviors, and sensing and reacting to panic attacks. Though these animals were certainly service animals under the definition, because their handlers' disabilities were not obvious, their presence caused a great deal of confusion. Then there was the issue of emotional support animals. These animals had no formal training in tasks to assist someone. They were, by their presence, 
calming and stabilizing to the person, and hence, to some, performing essential tasks to mitigate a disability. To most of the general public, though, these animals looked like pets, acted like pets, and were treated like pets in terms of access. Many business owners took an all-or-nothing tact, denying all animals, service or otherwise, or allowing all animals in and not reprimanding those handlers who did not control their animals for fear of reprisal. This was bad for everyone. It is safe to say that the Department of Justice heard the concerns, not only of business owners, but of service animal handlers who were frustrated at being denied access due to the irresponsible actions of others attempting to bring animals who either were not well-trained or not appropriate for public access into a business. In 2008, the DOJ asked for public comment on proposed regulations to tighten the definition of service animal to apply only to dogs. It also asked for comments on how to incorporate emotional support and psychiatric service animals into public access, if at all. The Coalition of Assistance Dog Organizations, CATO, which includes representatives from Guide Dog Users Incorporated, had been asked by DOJ to prepare a list of tasks and general public behavior standards for service animals. Much of this document was used to craft the proposed regulations. After a long delay due to the change of presidential administration and a forced review process, the assistance dog community was overjoyed to learn that the proposed regulations will indeed go into effect March 15, 2011. What does this mean to you as a guide dog handler, or to anyone with an assistance dog? The new regulations do specify that only dogs may be considered service animals. Handlers of miniature horses have some access rights. However, they are not officially included in the definition of service animal. This is probably the most confusing point of the new regulations. Animals that provide emotional support with no specific task training are not considered service animals for the purposes of the ADA. Other laws, such as the Fair Housing Act and the Air Carrier Access Act, define rights for people with emotional support animals, but in terms of public access, such animals are not included. One portion of the new regulations does bear mentioning. Section 35.136, Service Animals, D, Animal Under Handler's Control. A service animal shall be under the control of its handler. A service animal shall have a harness, leash, or other tether. Unless either the handler is unable because of a disability to use a harness, leash, or other tether, or the use of a harness, leash, or other tether would interfere with the service animal's safe, effective performance of work or tasks, in which case the service animal must be otherwise under the handler's control, e.g. voice control, signals, or other effective means. The section does not specify any particular leash, harness, color, or wording. It does specify control of the service animal. GDUI's work with Cato brought about these new regulations, along with comments from many guide and service dog handlers. For more information about these new regulations, or to read them in their entirety, go to http colon slash slash www.ada.gov. ACB in the Silver State, 2011 Conference and Convention by Carla Rushevel. We're making plans. Excitement is building. The 2011 Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind is happening in Reno, Nevada, July 8th through the 16th. Plan now to be there to celebrate ACB's 50th birthday. Our golden past, our diamond future. 
It is the end of January as I write this article. Already, the national office and I are receiving lots of conference-related calls. Read on for answers to the most frequently asked questions from individuals, agencies, and others. Program. Speakers and presenters at general sessions and breakout meetings are published in the conference program. As has been true in the past, you may pick up your program with your registration materials when you arrive in Reno, or you may download it from the ACB website after June 25th. ACB does not mail programs prior to the conference. Here is a sketch of the week. More details will be included in the April Braille Forum and on the pre-registration form. Friday, July 8th, and Saturday, July 16th. Tours. Saturday, July 9th through Thursday, July 14th. Exhibits, ACB seminars, special interest affiliate meetings and programs, tech workshops, tours. Sunday, July 10th through Friday, July 15th. ACB general sessions. Monday, July 11th through Friday, July 15th. Youth Activity Center. Friday, July 15th. ACB Golden Anniversary Banquet. Registration. Pre-registration begins in late May. A card will be sent in mid-May to the Braille Forum list, announcing that registration is about to begin. The information will also be posted on the ACB Convention, Leadership, and ACBL email lists. The announcement will contain an estimated date that registration will be live online and a toll-free number for those who wish to register by phone. We will not send paper forms to the entire mailing list. If you would like a paper form, request it from Sharon Lovering at the ACB National Office before May 1st. Forms will be sent via first-class mail when pre-registration opens at the end of May. Exhibits The 2011 ACB Conference and Convention gives businesses and agencies a chance to let people from all over the country and around the world know about their products and services. Premium, tabletop, and affiliate booth spaces are now available. New this year are rebates for exhibitors who stay all six days, Saturday through Thursday. Also new are a limited number of half-week specials, Saturday through Monday or Tuesday through Thursday perfect for the small business or agency that just cannot stay the entire time. Look for special discounts on exhibit space for blind entrepreneurs, exhibitor discounts on advertising, and premium booth specials on registration bag stuffers. Advertising and Sponsorships Many outstanding opportunities are available to let attendees and folks at home know about your products and services. Color and black-and-white program pages newspaper advertising, and ACB radio spots and features are great ways to get the word out to potential customers. Conference sponsors, our GEMS, have a unique opportunity to add their logos and names to workshops, seminars, educational and leisure activities, youth programs, and convention services. High visibility, lots of extras such as program and newspaper ads, listings on the official convention t-shirt, and sponsor board in general session, and features on ACB Radio. Great for businesses and affiliates. Pearls, $1,000, to diamonds, $20,000, and all gems in between. For more information on exhibit, advertising, and sponsorship opportunities, visit our website at www.acb.org or contact Michael Smitherman, Exhibits, 
at 601-331-7740, or Marjorie Beeman, Advertising and Sponsorships, at 512-921-1625. ACB Heroes Every state and affiliate have special people who have played significant roles in the lives of blind and visually impaired people. Often, these outstanding individuals go unheralded on the national scene. Now you can share the accomplishments of these special people by participating in the ACB Heroes section of the 2011 Conference and Convention Program. Heroes pages will be printed on high-quality paper. Pages can include a photograph of your special person and a short caption about his or her accomplishments. What a wonderful way to honor or memorialize that special person. Heroes pages must be reserved by May 15th. For more information, contact Marjorie Beeman at 512-921-1625. Scheduling Events The ACB Board has approved new session schedules for this year. Breakfasts begin at 7 o'clock, lunches at 12.15. Four afternoon sessions are available. Session 1, 1.15 to 2.30, is reserved exclusively for special interest groups. Sessions 2, 2.45 to 4 o'clock, and 3, 4.15 to 5.30, are open to special interest affiliates and ACB committees. Session 4, 5.45 to 7 o'clock, is available to affiliates, committees, and others not affiliated with ACB. Evening schedules remain the same as previous years. Anyone wishing to schedule programs or activities in Reno should submit all information for the pre-registration form by April 15th. Program details must be received by May 1st. Make all arrangements related to conference and convention events, reserve meeting rooms, order food or AV equipment, etc., with Carla Rushevel. Phone 502-303-7042 or email a-D-A-M-C-A-R-L-A at B-E-L-L-S-O-U-T-H dot net. Hotel The John Esquaga Nugget Hotel Resort Casino is home to ACB for Convention Week. General session, exhibits, registration, the ACB Cafe, and many special interest affiliate meetings will be on the second floor. Other seminars and programs will be on three. No need to go through the casino to get to conference meetings and events. Most restaurants are on the first floor. Make hotel reservations by calling 1-800-648-1177. Room rates are $87 single-double plus tax per night. Add $10 per night for each additional person in the room. The ACB room block is in the West Tower. Your room rate includes free shuttle transportation from the airport or the bus or train station. For convention questions or special concerns, contact Carla Rushevel, Convention Committee Chair, at 502-303-7042, or by email at adamcarla at b-e-l-l-s-o-u-t-h dot net, or call the ACB National Office at 1-800-424-8666. End of Side 1 Side 2. The Braille Forum, Volume 49, March 2011, Number 9. This side contains... DKM Deadline is Near. ACB Gears Up for Officer Elections in July. Exhibiting the Gold, Exploring the Treasure, 
Embracing the Cultures, by Eric Fry and Michael Garrett. Impact of a Short Conversation, by James Edwards. French Delegation, by George Holiday. In My Own Voice, the Carmela's Quest Collaboration, by Carmela Broom. Affiliate News, Passings. Beginning with DKM Deadline is Near. DKM Deadline is Near. Time is growing short for submission of DKM First Timer Award applications to the ACB National Office. Eligible applicants must be at least 18 years of age, members in good standing, and must not have attended a previous ACB National Convention. The two successful applicants will attend the 2011 conference and convention in Reno as guests of ACB. Registration and related fees, transportation, and lodging costs will be paid in addition to a meal stipend. Applicants should submit the following materials no later than April 1. A personal narrative describing how selection as a DKM first timer will benefit the recipient, as well as his, her affiliate, and community, and a letter of support from the applicant's affiliate president. Send to Attention, DKM First Timers, Care of American Council of the Blind, 2200 Wilson Boulevard, Suite 650, Arlington, Virginia, 22201. We look forward to receiving your applications. ACB gears up for officer elections in July. In 2011, ACB members will elect five officers at the annual conference and convention in Reno President, First Vice President, Second Vice President, Secretary, and Treasurer. President Mitch Pomerantz, First Vice President Kim Charlson, Second Vice President Brenda Dillon, and Secretary Marlena Lieberg have completed two terms of office and are eligible for one more two year term. Because Treasurer Mike Godino is finishing his third and final term, he is not eligible for re election. Members of the Board of Directors are elected in even numbered years. All ACB members in good standing are welcome to run for office. Throughout Convention Week, candidates will present themselves at formal and informal state and special interest caucuses. In addition, the Board of Publications will sponsor a live question and answer candidates forum. Which will be held on Thursday evening, just prior to Friday's elections. The BOP encourages all ACB members to submit written questions to be considered for this forum to the Convention Communications Center. More details about this and other aspects of Communications Center operations will be included in the June issue. In recent years, the BOP has hosted a candidates page on the ACB website. Unfortunately, this resource was not widely used by prospective candidates last year. Therefore, after considerable discussion, the BOP made the difficult decision not to provide a candidates page this year. The BOP will host this page in the future when sufficient interest is generated. Exhibiting the Gold, Exploring the Treasure, Embracing the Cultures by Eric Fry and Michael Garrett. In 2011, ACB will be celebrating 50 years of advocacy for people who are blind or visually impaired. A number of people in the community did not think ACB would last, but here we are 50 years later. Through dedication, persistence, and hard work, we are stronger today than ever before in our history. The Multicultural Affairs Committee, MCAC, has chosen a theme for its annual luncheon and afternoon program, titled Exhibiting the Gold, 
exploring the treasure, embracing the cultures. This program will showcase our 50 years of service to the blind and visually impaired. This event will identify how we got where we are today and what needs to be done in the future, so we may continue our outreach for another 50 years. As ACB celebrates 50 years of advocacy efforts, it presents a golden opportunity to exhibit the many accomplishments the organization has made and put on display the pioneers who blazed the trail for us who are here today. If we are to continue our outreach efforts, if we are to stay true to our mission, we must continue in the tradition of those who founded the organization. Leaders such as Grant Mack, Durward K. McDaniel, Catherine Skivers, and M.J. Schmidt. Those leaders laid the groundwork for the accomplishments we enjoy today. ACB should be proud of its involvement in achieving legislative success, and ACB is second to none in its structured negotiation settlement approach. Like those who led the way for ACB 50 years ago, the MCAC believes there are treasures among us today. We believe the most valuable resource that ACB has is the people that comprise it. ACB is rich in ingenuity, talent, and intellectual know-how. But are these attributes being adequately utilized? We say no. So let the exploration begin. Somebody is sitting on the sidelines with ingenious ideas, a variety of hidden talents, and all kinds of knowledge. ACB needs you. The MCAC also believes that the strength of ACB can be found in its diversity. The committee strives to encourage individuals of all cultures to become active participants in ACB. Can this happen? Can ACB do a better job of embracing cultures? Yes. The MCAC recognizes the efforts put forth by ACB President Mitch Pomerantz, which promote inclusion. Pomerantz and other ACB leaders have made significant strides in including individuals from a variety of cultures in programming, key committee appointments, and employment opportunities. Each year, the MCAC reaches out to ACB in an attempt to share their rich heritage embedded in every culture. 2011 will be no exception, accentuated by the fact that this will be ACB's golden anniversary. So, we invite you to come join us and see how we will exhibit the gold, explore the treasure, and embrace the cultures. Impact of a Short Conversation by James Edwards Attending a national convention always has a lasting impact on you. It makes you appreciate the work that our leaders and their predecessors have accomplished on our behalf. At conventions, you see a plethora of people working together, volunteering their time and energy to accomplish what needs to be done. And they do it humbly, without any concern for personal recognition. A good example of this occurred at the 2010 convention, when Brenda Dillon and her husband Dan were recognized with an award for their many contributions to ACB. The award came as a complete surprise and brought tears to Brenda's eyes, as well as Cindy Van Winkles, who was presenting the award. But the humbleness came through when Dan Dillon said, This award is wonderful and greatly appreciated, but the real reason we work so hard for ACB is because it is a labor of love. We do it because it comes from our hearts. That's the attitude that is most apparent at the ACB national conventions. But what really made an impact on me personally was a short conversation I had with the man driving the cab when I went from the airport to the hotel. This man was from Nairobi, Kenya, and with his broken English he told me, almost emotionally, how he had been overwhelmingly touched that week by the contact he had with so many blind people. 
He couldn't believe the ability and the freedom blind people in America have to travel around the country to attend a convention, to take care of business, or just to visit relatives. He told me blind people in his country have nothing, no assistance, no employment, no life, no hope. He told me we have no idea how fortunate we are to have all that we do. So I pondered on this conversation for a couple of days, and then I found a computer I could use and researched blindness in Africa. The majority of articles on the internet deal with the positive aspects of the organizations who are trying to help the blind in Africa. But if you look hard enough, you will find articles that really substantiate the cab driver's story. Here are some excerpts from an article I found on the British Broadcasting Corporation news page. The headline reads. Africans have been urged to revise their attitude towards the blind by a major international eyesight charity. The article states, Many African societies shun their blind as too much of a burden, with some left to perish or else to survive on minimal help. But the prevalence of blindness causing diseases and problems in the continent has led to a call for change. Sight issues are a big problem in Sierra Leone, as well as in the rest of the West Africa region. Dennis Williams of Sightsavers International told the BBC. Because of the inability of people to work with blind people, blind people are treated very badly and left to sit behind their houses while other people do their normal day's work. Blind people are considered not capable of earning an income, not capable of contributing to their communities, their homes, their families, their society. Dr. Hannah Fall of Nigeria states. Africa is one of the most affected areas globally as far as blindness is concerned, not just in the relevant rate of blindness, but in the actual numbers of people who are affected. The tragedy is that for Africa, 80% of the causes of blindness in Africa are preventable. One problem is that we are not giving people enough information for them to take care of their own eyes, Dr. Fall said, adding that, with all of the continent's problems, eye care was simply not a priority. For the next few days at the convention, I listened to people talking about the different issues that are so important to us, and I couldn't help but think how petty they are compared to the problems affecting the blind African villager or the blind man living in the city of Nairobi with no hope. What I took personally from the National Convention in Phoenix is a great appreciation for all that we, as a blind community, have, a great appreciation for all that ACB means to us, and Thanks to a short conversation with a cab driver from Nairobi, a great compassion for the people of the world who do not have what we have. Sometimes you need to step back and count your blessings. The American Council of the Blind is really a blessing to all of us. French Delegation by George Holliday. In early August, I received a telephone call from Melanie Brunson, Executive Director of the American Council of the Blind. We discussed my hosting a meeting for a delegation from France as a member of the ACB board. She informed me that I was to contact Caroline, the tour coordinator of a tour agency in Canada, to finalize details of the meeting. During several conversations with Caroline, the two hour meeting was scheduled for September 13th at Associated Services for the Blind in Philadelphia. She informed me that the 31 member delegation included 24 visually impaired individuals. And that Francois, the tour guide, was the only one speaking English. He wanted to discuss the following How does ACB work? What are the goals and/or mandates? 
what is being done to help blind or low vision people in the community or at the workplace. What special programs are put in place by different agencies? Discuss the daily life, both benefits and obstacles, of blind people in the USA. Once everyone arrived, I attempted to humor them with some French I retained from school, even though Francois had come to my rescue. It was an honor to talk briefly about ACB. The presenters were held to a time limit. The members of the delegation were informed of several advocacy efforts on pending legislation, which included discussion on quiet cars, currency, voting, and pedestrian safety. I distributed copies of the Braille Forum in large print and cassette, and told them about ACB's website, where they could find more information. John Horst, executive director of the Pennsylvania Council of the Blind, discussed issues pertaining to PCB and distributed PCB brochures. Derby Ewing, director of Human Services, discussed services and programs at ASB. Merlene Harvey, district manager of the Bureau of Blindness and Visual Services of Philadelphia, discussed services and programs. Ed Facemeyer, past BBVS consumer and employee, now retired, gave us a brief description of him receiving services, working for BBVS, and his activities since retiring. Sarita Holiday, an employee of the VA Medical Center, provided an overview of the demographic representation of legally blind veterans who receive services at the Philadelphia VA Medical Center, in addition to those seen throughout the country. Stuart Hughes, Director of Family Services, Family Resource Room at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, discussed how he became involved with the Little Rock Foundation. He also discussed the services that he and I provide at the resource rooms at CHOP and Will's Eye Hospital. Following the presentations, the guests asked several questions. There was a lot of enthusiasm in the group. Everyone received my contact information in case they had additional questions after returning home. After leaving the meeting, the delegation toured the Braille Department and met with Renee Snowden, library representative, where she discussed the library services and programs. I have never seen a more enthused group. They were very patient as Francois translated for them. The presenters had to learn on the fly on how much to say before the translator took over. While they boarded the bus, Francois informed me that everyone wanted to shake my hand before leaving. It was an honor and pleasure to participate in such an event for ACB. Au revoir for now. In My Own Voice The Carmela's Quest Collaboration By Carmela Broom My first book, Carmela's Quest, Taking on College Sight Unseen, was released in print in February of 2009. As excited as I was to hold a copy in my hands, flip the pages, and yes, even sniff it to see if it really smelled like a new book, I was already thinking ahead to my next goal. I needed to get the book into accessible format for other readers who were blind. Getting Carmela's Quest into Bookshare's collection of digital books was quick and easy, but I wanted it available in audio format as well. I'd enjoyed books on tape for years through the National Library Service, and wanted my book to be included in their collection. I knew that my state's talking book services had a studio where local volunteers recorded books about South Carolina, or by South Carolina authors. This collection was made available nationally to NLS patrons through interlibrary loan. Hoping for the best, I contacted Chris Yates at the Talking Book Services office near my home. After a little phone tag, we had an enthusiastic conversation about getting my book into their South Carolina-related collection. 
There was a catch to my request, though. I wanted to read the book myself. If Chris was taken aback, he quickly got over it. Great, he said. How would we go about doing that? I explained that I'd probably use a process similar to one I'd figured out when I needed to give presentations in graduate school. I had a laptop, a text file, JAWS, and a set of headphones. I would have JAWS read to me, and I would repeat what I was listening to aloud to my audience. I wore an earbud in one ear and simply slowed the speech rate down a bit and narrowed a document's margins so that I could easily stay a few words behind whatever JAWS was saying. I moved through the text line by line, adding pauses and inflection, and other more human embellishments. In this case, my audience would be TBS's digital recording equipment. I don't know how you're able to read that way, Chris said, but we're sure willing to give it a shot. We made plans to meet for a trial run a couple weeks later. The first recording session went great. I snuggled into a small soundproof recording booth with my laptop and my guide dog, Maggie. Chris was on the other side of the booth, monitoring his equipment. We talked to each other through the microphone. I already had the JAWS speech rate and margins on the text copy of Carmela's Quest set the way I liked them. We did a quick sound check, during which I read several paragraphs to make sure everything was set up right on Chris's end. I read for about two minutes before Chris stopped me. He actually left the equipment and came around to the booth. When he pulled the door open, I was amused to note that it made that weird sucking noise refrigerator doors make when they're pulled open. This is going to be great, he said. You really have the voice for narrating. I can't wait to let National NLS know about this. I could tell Chris was really excited. I'd been sure my idea would work and was pleased with his enthusiasm. I think readers will really be able to tell that you're personally invested in this reading, Chris said. I hoped so, too. I knew that, especially when reading a memoir, I'd connect with the story more personally if I knew the person narrating it was the person who actually wrote it. I also knew that I wouldn't have wanted anyone else's voice to read my book. If I did it myself, I could make sure it sounded the way I wanted it to. Our first recording session flew by as I read the introductory pages and first four chapters. Chris followed along in the print copy and monitored the recording equipment. We quickly figured out that if I stumbled or didn't like how I'd read a phrase or sentence and needed to go back and record a do-over, the easiest thing was simply for me to pause and then read it again. That way Chris didn't have to back up his equipment and I didn't have to interrupt the flow of reading. After we finished the entire book, Chris would edit the digital files, and if needed, I would come back in and record any bits and pieces that needed to be read again. I knew it would take several sessions to record the whole book. Fortunately, I had a four-day work week at my counseling job and could easily drop in on my day off to record for a couple hours. We met about four more times during the next few months. Each time, I would read for an hour and a half to two hours to avoid my voice beginning to sound tired. Sometimes, though I was multitasking and very focused on context, content, and keeping track of JAWS, I would have moments where it felt as if I were experiencing the book for the first time. I suppose this had to do with listening to myself reading it aloud. It was as if the story were new to me, though I'd been over the manuscript multiple times during the past few months. I would think, that's really funny, or that's really sad, or, wow, this girl really communicates well through writing. I would have to remind myself that this girl who wrote this book was actually me. It was strange, 
but gave me a different appreciation for a story that had become way too familiar during the process of editing and rewrites. Meanwhile, I was invited to be the presenting author at a monthly event sponsored by the South Carolina State Library, of which TBS is a part. Their PR folks do a great job publicizing these meetings, which was great for getting the word out to the local media about Carmela's quest. After the presentation, a podcast of my talk was posted on the State Library's website, and clips were uploaded on YouTube. Curtis Rogers, who handles press release distribution and media contacts, also circulated information about my availability to speak to libraries across the state. This resulted in several opportunities to talk to school and library groups about being a published author. By early August, the recording of Carmela's Quest was complete. Soon after, Chris contacted me with a very brief list of edits I would need to come in and re-record. We made plans to do that in early September. Around the same time, Curtis Rogers sent out another press release letting the local media know of our collaboration and the unique way I went about reading my book. A reporter from a local TV station came in to interview me the day I read the last few edits. Several weeks later, the story ran on our local CBS station's nightly news program. In mid-September, I received a CD from Chris containing the complete recording of Carmela's Quest. Listening to it read in my own voice was an amazing experience. It sounded so professional and yet so conversational, which is exactly what I'd hoped for. Once again, various emotions hit me as I experienced the story in a new way. I was thrilled with how the recording turned out. Carmela's Quest is now available across the country to anyone signed up with NLS. I'm proud to have contributed to a service that has provided me with countless hours of reading enjoyment over the years. I wish positive collaborations like the one between myself and South Carolina Talking Book Services could happen more often. Working together, we made Carmela's Quest accessible, in my own voice, to countless other blind readers. The moral of this story is, if there's something you're passionate about doing, don't let uncertainty stand in your way of trying. Find people who will support and encourage you as you pursue your goal. Brainstorm ideas and alternative strategies. Do some research and be willing to take a reasonable risk to find out what could happen. You may have to think outside the box a little and experiment with some techniques to figure out what will work best. The solution might just involve a little flexibility and creativity. This isn't always the case, but it's true more often than we might think. Affiliate News Buy a lighted armband and support Georgia Guide Dog users. To raise funds, Georgia Guide Dog users is selling lighted armbands for $10. These are the same armbands that were sold by Guide Dog users of Florida in 2010. These versatile armbands are made of weather and shock-resistant materials and are 10 to 15 inches in length. The adjustable elastic band is black, with the portion over the light made of reflective yellow material. The three-position switch is for a flashing or solid red light that is visible for up to one mile in no- or low-light situations. A Velcro flap covers the unit with the switch and battery housing. The replaceable battery, which is included, lasts for 200 hours. These armbands are ideal for blind and visually impaired pedestrians, and for friends and family who walk, run, bike, or are out doing anything at night. You and they will be safer by being more visible to drivers, and you can help GGDU at the same time. To order one or more armbands at $10 each, send a check made out to Georgia Guide Dog users to Marge Snyder, 212 Oxford Drive, Savannah, Georgia, 
1-800-331-31405. Include a note in print or braille with the address where the order should be sent. For further questions, contact Marge at M-A-R-J-S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R at B-E-L-L-S-O-U-T-H dot net. Passings It has come to our attention that we are rapidly losing members of our community, friends, and supporters of ACB. In order to honor these people whose lives have impacted us in large and small ways, we are publishing this column. See below for the format in which to submit information. Linda K. Braithwaite Reprinted from the Salt Lake Tribune, December 22, 2010 Linda K. Braithwaite traveled home to her father in heaven on December 18, 2010. In spite of a long struggle with cancer, Linda truly fulfilled her goal of living every day to its fullest. She has devoted her life to the service of others. Linda had a great passion for learning and experiencing all that life had to offer. She tuned pianos, taught blind people how to use power tools, traveled the world, even climbing the Great Wall of China alone with her white cane. She worked for the Division of Services for the Blind and Visually Impaired, the Library of Congress Braille Development Section, and the Multi-State University Consortium for Vision. After retiring, she opened her own business, BZ Training and Consulting, continuing her service to the blind. Linda filled her life with volunteer activities, such as serving as an officer for Utah Council of the Blind, Gina Bachauer International Piano Foundation, and UCB Credit Union and mentoring young blind people and musicians. End of Side 2 Side 3 The Braille Forum Volume 49 March 2011 Number 9 This side contains Here and There Edited by Sue Lichtenfels High Tech Swap Shop Continuing with Passings Linda saw beauty in everything around her, as exemplified in her love of music and the arts. She contributed to the musical culture of Utah. She was a member of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir for twenty years, and, more recently, the Utah Symphony Chorus. She shared her voice through recitals in the Temple Square Concert Series and at other venues throughout Utah and the United States. Linda was a devoted member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She served for two years in the Kentucky-Tennessee Mission, as a volunteer at the Salt Lake Temple, and in various capacities in her ward, including ward organist and gospel doctrine teacher. During her life, she received many prestigious awards, including the Ruth Craig Meritorious Award for Lifetime Contributions to the Blind and Visually Impaired, the Albert Talmadge Award, the Utah Council of the Blind's Highest Award for a Lifetime of Service to the Blind, the Best of the Best, and other awards from the Utah State Office of Rehabilitation. Linda was born October 27, 1947, in Los Angeles, California, to Riva and Frank Perenzen, and later adopted by Jack H. Braithwaite. She is survived by her father, Jack H. Braithwaite, her brother, Dennis A. Braithwaite, Janine, nephew, Brent J. Braithwaite, niece, Laurie Mason, Dallin, grandnieces, Meal and Zoe, and grandnephew, Bowden Mason. She was preceded in death by her mother, Reva Braithwaite, niece, Heidi Braithwaite, 
and grandniece Alyssa. Obituary Format When submitting material for this column, please include as much of the following information as possible. Submissions must include dates no more than six months from intended date of publication. Name First, last, maiden if appropriate. City of residence, upon passing. State, province of residence, upon passing. Other cities, states, countries of residence. Places where other blind people may have known this person. Occupation. Date of death. Day if known. Month. Year. Age. ACB affiliation. Local, state, special interest affiliates or national committees. Here and There. Edited by Sue Lichtenfels. The announcement of products and services in this column does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The Braille Forum cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned. To submit items for this column, send a message to info at acb.org or phone the National Office at 1-800-424-8666 and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. Free Service Animal Eye Exams The fourth annual ACVO Merial National Service Dog Eye Exam event will take place throughout May 2011. Service animals whether dogs, cats, horses, or the like, can receive a free eye exam to look for problems including redness, squinting, cloudy corneas, retinal disease, early cataracts, and other serious abnormalities. Last year, more than 3,200 exams were conducted. Owners must register their animal online between April 1st and April 29th. Once registered, owners will be given a list of participating veterinary ophthalmologists to schedule an appointment. To qualify, animals must be active working animals that were certified by a formal training program or organization or currently enrolled in a formal training program. The certifying organization could be national, regional, or local in nature. Additional registration details can be found at www.acvo eyeexam.org Scholarships available The American Foundation for the Blind, AFB, administers a scholarship program. Each year, individuals who are legally blind can apply for financial awards to support their college education. For more information, contact AFB's Information Center at 1-800-232-5463. Email afbinfo at afb.net or visit the website www.afb.org forward slash scholarships dot asp. The application deadline is April 30, 2011. Summer Braille Music Institute the National Resource Center for Blind Musicians will hold its seminar for blind college-bound musicians July 10th through the 16th at the Overbrook School for the Blind in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania.
The seminar tailors instruction to each person's need to develop Braille music and theory skills, and to learn to use technology to submit music assignments in print notation. Applications are currently being accepted from serious Braille reading music students preparing for or already in college. Applicants must have already studied some music theory, have had several years of music lessons, and be able to present a polished and pleasing performance. They must be willing to put effort into Braille music study, and demonstrate a commitment to use the Braille music and computer notating skills they will learn at the institute when they return to school. Applicants must also show they have begun thinking realistically about reachable goals, and that they have the independent skills, social readiness, and maturity to be a contributing part of a close-knit group. All application materials are due by May 4, 2011. For application and audition details, visit www.blindmusicstudent.org. Call 203-366-3300. Extension two two nine, or email info at blindmusicstudent dot org. Distance education in blindness. Hadley School and Utah State University have partnered to offer college-level distance education courses for individuals who want to receive training in working with students who are blind. The program is geared to parents, paraprofessionals, and teachers seeking either a certificate in blindness at the undergraduate level or a USU associate's degree in general studies with a focus on blindness. Courses include introduction to blindness and visual impairment, the human eye and visual system, introduction to Braille, the role of paraeducators with individuals who are blind or visually impaired, introduction to low vision. And introduction to multiple disabilities. To learn more about this program, contact Linda Alsop at l i n d a dot a l s o p at u s u dot e d u, or four three five seven nine seven five five nine eight. To take courses on a non-credit basis, contact Fran Payne at f r a n dot p a y n e. At usu.edu, or four three five seven nine seven five five nine one. Guild scholarship winners. The Jewish Guild for the Blind has awarded sixteen scholarships to high school seniors who are visually impaired. Each winner will receive ten thousand dollars to begin their college education in the fall of two thousand eleven. Winners were chosen based on criteria including academic excellence, community involvement, legal blindness, U.S. citizenship, and financial need. Congratulations to Karen Arcos of Los Angeles, California; Thomas John Carroll III of Glenview, Illinois; Caitlin Chandler Corey of Culver City, California; Sarah Gonzalez of Atlantic Beach, Florida. Constantine Greenius of Valencia, California; Michelle A. Heckman of Great Neck, New York; Anne Kwong of El Monte, California; Catherine Lee of Elk Grove, California; Emma Liu of Bethesda, Maryland; Wai Hin Judith Lung of Monterey Park, California; Mayan Malter of Wilmette, Illinois; Christopher Meyer of Kokomo, Indiana. 
Sylvia Modisit of Martinsburg, Missouri, Lance Matthew Norris of Spring, Texas, Isaac Edward Prawl of Portland, Oregon, and Trent Underwood of San Diego, California. For information on the Guild Scholar Program, contact Gordon Rovins at 212-769-7801 or email guildscholar at jgb.org. Careers in Hospitality The National Statler Center for Careers in Hospitality Service, headquartered in Buffalo, New York, is entering its 11th year and has recently graduated its 35th class. Graduates are employed by hotel companies such as Ritz-Carlton, Adams Mark, Sheraton, Marriott, Holiday Inn, Radisson, and Hampton Hotels, as well as respected smaller properties. To learn more about this training program, contact Jeff Pease at 716-888-4526 or jpease at statlercenter.org. Additional information is also available at www.statlercenter.org. Camp Siloam for Blind Adults Camp Siloam 2011 will take place at the Golden Cross Ranch in New Caney, Texas, from May 21st to the 28th. Bruce Kuntz, assistant pastor of Community Baptist Church in San Marcos, Texas, will lead the morning Bible study from the Book of Jonah. Activities will include hayrides, shopping trip, swimming, horseback riding, and evening services. When you send the $25 non-refundable deposit, you will be sent a full camp registration packet. Send the deposit to The Gospel Association for the Blind, P.O. Box 1162, Bunnell, Florida, 32110. The week of camp costs $220 minus the $25 deposit. There is no charge for first-time adult campers. Transportation assistance is also available. For more information, call 386-586-5885 or 1-866-251-5165 and enter mailbox 7128 pound sign. Happy Birthday to NLS On March 3rd, the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped, NLS, celebrated its 80th birthday. Through a network of 113 regional libraries, NLS brings reading materials in digital audio and braille formats to the homes of patrons from preschoolers to centenarians. Some request and receive hard copies via postal mail, while others download accessible files from the website. The NLS collection includes more than 400,000 books covering a variety of genres. Each year, an additional 2,500 books are added to the collection. For magazine readers, NLS offers free subscriptions to 40 periodicals on audio and 30 in Braille. To register for or to learn more about this service, call 1-888-NLS-READ, 657-7323 or visit www.loc.gov slash NLS slash. NLS Narrator Passes 
Longtime talking book narrator Fred Major passed away in mid-January at the age of 73. Major's health had been in decline since a heart attack 12 years ago. He recorded hundreds of NLS books at the APH studio in Louisville, Kentucky. He made a career as both a stage actor in theaters across the country and was voice talent for a number of documentary programs. Since 1982, he was a resident actor at the Actors Theater of Louisville, where he played his final role as the narrator in A Christmas Carol in December. Disability Employment Outreach Tools. The U.S. Office of Disability Employment Policy (ODEP) has launched several new tools in its "I Can" campaign to enhance and increase the employment of people with disabilities. In addition to the "I Can" public service announcement, ODEP now offers two discussion guides and seven educational posters addressing disability and employment. The two PSA discussion guides are a workplace discussion guide to help employers and human resource professionals facilitate staff conversations on flexible and inclusive workplaces, and a youth discussion guide to help start a conversation among youth with and without disabilities that focuses on abilities and talent. Each guide includes a DVD of the PSA. Each of the seven "What Can You Do?" posters addresses a different audience and includes a compelling image and message. Any of these tools can be downloaded or ordered through the campaign website at www.whatcanyoudo.campaign.org. Exploring self-employment. The Hadley School for the Blind has launched a new course for individuals who are blind and want to learn more about self-employment. Self-employment with a minimal investment focuses on small businesses that involve an investment of $500 or less. The course covers the fundamentals of self-discovery, idea evaluation, budgeting, marketing, business planning, and accessing resources available to entrepreneurs who are blind. The course is conducted online and is free for blind students and their families. A similar course with an additional section that discusses the vocational rehabilitation counselor's role in helping a client become self-employed, as well as the client's responsibilities, is being offered to professionals who work in the blindness field. Enrollment in this version of the course will be ninety-nine dollars, but is being offered for free for a limited time. For more information or to enroll in either course. Contact Student Services at one eight hundred five two six nine nine zero nine, or email s t u d e n t underscore s e r v i c e s at h a d l e y dot e d u. Medicare Handbook Accessible. The two thousand eleven edition of the Medicare and You Handbook is available in accessible formats, including Braille. The book covers what's new, what Medicare pays for, health and prescription drug plans, and your Medicare rights. To request an alternate format, call one eight hundred six three three four two two seven and ask to speak to a live representative. Free Disability Magazine. Six times a year, Bob Branco publishes Consumer Vision Magazine. Articles are of general interest, but specifically cover topics related to disability. Issues are available in Braille, cassette, 
CD, print, email, and online. Back issues and additional information about the magazine are available at www.consumervisionmagazine.com. To subscribe, contact Bob Branco at branco182 at verizon.net or call 508 508- Nine nine four four nine seven two. High Tech Swap Shop. For sale. Talking microwave. Asking fifty dollars or best offer. Contact Mario at four one three four five five two three five three. For sale. Freedom Scientific Packmate Omni Twenty. Recently serviced. Has original case. All the documentation, cables, and discs. Asking three thousand dollars or best offer. Contact Stephanie McDowell at g d b a l u m n i at s b c g l o b a l dot net. For sale, Olympus DS30 digital tape recorder with USB cable and instruction manual. Asking fifty dollars. PlexTalk PTR2 comes with user's manual, software, USB cable. Asking six hundred dollars. Zoom text screen reading software. Asking one hundred dollars. All products are new, never used. All prices are negotiable. Buyer will also pay for shipping cost. Contact Cynthia at four zero eight six five six two one zero two. Or email c i r q i t o u s six five zero at y a h o o dot com. For sale, handheld electronic magnifier, easy to carry, comes with carrying case, wall charger, manual, and three different plug types: Euro, UK, and one other. On the charger is the U.S. plug type. Asking one hundred dollars, will trade for a Victor reader. Grizzly Gulch and Chili Ham computer games. Asking fifteen dollars for both or ten dollars for one. Rubber chart board, comes with tacks and rubber bands for making shapes and graphs for blind users. Asking thirty dollars. Please contact Malak at three eight six six seven five. Zero three three one, or email m a l a k eight one eight nine zero at g m a i l dot com. For sale, desktop computer with one point five gig hard drive, four gigs RAM, Windows XP Home Edition, and JAWS, asking five hundred fifty dollars. Toshiba laptop with fifteen point six inch wide screen. Two hundred fifty gig hard drive, two gigs RAM, Windows Seven, and JAWS, asking five hundred fifty dollars. Call Jose at eight one eight two two zero six two five six. For sale, three original Perkins Brailers, in good condition, asking three hundred fifty dollars each. Contact Sandy at nine one eight eight three nine six eight eight five. 
wanted to exchange. I would like to swap my slate and stylus for a laptop computer, 80-cell braille display, tractor-fed braille paper, jaws for windows, and open book. Send to Carla Lack, 1410 West Willow, Room 16, Enid, Oklahoma, 73703. Phone, 580-237-8032. Wanted. Large tactile globe from 1950s with countries outlined. Contact Marcia Hutton at 617-734-8459. Wanted. The Divine Revelation of Hell by Mary Catherine Baxter on tape. Contact Walter Shavira at 661-833-3663 or email w-a-l-t-e-r C-H-A-V-I-R-A at E-A-R-T-H-L-I-N-K dot net. Wanted. A Victor Reader Stream. Contact Aaron via email. B-L-I-N-D-G-E-E-K-1989 at G-M-A-I-L dot com. Wanted. Victor Reader and Braille Display for Laptop. Contact Malak at 386-675-0331 or email malak81890 at gmail.com. ACB Officers President Mitch Pomerantz, 1115 Cordova Street, number 402, Pasadena, California, 91106. First Vice President, Kim Charlson, 57 Grandview Avenue, Watertown, Massachusetts, 02472. Second Vice President, Brenda Dillon, 313 Overridge Cove, Hermitage, Tennessee, 37076. Secretary, Marlena Lieberg, 632 South 189th Street, Burian, Washington, 98148. Treasurer, Mike Godino, 104 Tilrose Avenue, Malvern, New York, 11565-2024. Immediate Past President, Christopher Gray, 94 Ramona Avenue, San Francisco, California, 94103. ACB Board of Directors, Ray Campbell, Glen Ellen, Illinois. Burl Colley, Lacey, Washington. Janet Dickelman, St. Paul, Minnesota. Marcia Farrow, Somerville, Georgia. Michael Garrett, Missouri City, Texas. George Holliday, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Billy Jean Keith, Arlington, Virginia. Alan Peterson, Horace, North Dakota. Jeff Tom, Sacramento, California. David Trott, Talladega, Alabama. Ex officio, Janine Stanley, Columbus, Ohio. Board of Publications. Paul Edwards, Chairman, Miami, Florida. Marcia Dresser, Reading, Massachusetts. Judy Jackson, Austin, Texas. Janine Stanley, Columbus, Ohio. 
Ken Stewart, Warwick, New York. Ex officio, Ron Milliman, Bowling Green, Kentucky. End of side three.